few years ago, a number of years ago now, there was this uh, little clip on America's Funniest Home Videos. Resolution's not great. I've shown it in here before. I can't remember when, but it's funny enough to watch again. But it captures, I think, illustrates, I think, the multi-layered realities of how anxiety starts and grows and develops in our life. Think about that when you watch this video of this dog. Let's watch it right now for a moment. So many things to say, uh, but we have to move on. But if, so if you think about just how you know, the stress building, uh, he's trying to enjoy a bone and his foot's kind of coming up there and threatening you know, to take something he already has and, and it's his own body and he becomes his own worst enemy and he responds in anger and he ends up just biting himself and you can just see the growling and the, just the tension and the stress building. And, and, and I think in some ways, I wonder, uh, in not such a funny way, but more of a tragic way, if that's how God looks at us, that he kind of sees how anxiety works in our life. And because just, you know, like the dog just had this lack of awareness of what his own body was and, and, and becoming threatened by something that in reality was no threat at all. Uh, almost as if God's looking at us and it's almost all these passages that talk about anxiety in the Bible and God's trying to tell us that we have a similar problem with reality. We have a similar problem even fragmenting our, our lives, our body, our sense of awareness, our sense of reality, that even that in itself causes us stress and anxiety and tension and to feel threatened by things that aren't really threats at all. But there are some real threats. I'm, nobody's minimizing that. But sometimes we, we be over-anxious. We get overstressed because we're just not aware of reality. When we decided back in April to do the sermon series on Psalms, back in April I picked right away Psalm 139 because for me it's always been one of those unique places that I go to in the Bible that I think just is sort of, it puts everything in my life in perspective. If I can remind myself that I live in a Psalm 139 reality, then I can replace anxiety, a growing sense of stress and tension and anxiety and anger and feeling threatened. I can replace that with a calmer confidence and a transcendent sense of peace when I remember that I live in a Psalm 139 reality. So what I want to do today is talk about some of the you know, parts of Psalm 139. It's a long psalm. We're not going to do the whole thing. But I want to talk about some of the parts that have meant the most to me and if, if, you, if you look at the, the going to the psalm, the first thing you see in the ancient Hebrew description is that it's a psalm of David. David is the very you know, famous, the, fam the much revered king of Israel 
who was also an ancestor of Jesus who lived a thousand years before Jesus. And as Keith said last week in his sermon, that the Psalms, many of them, most of them written by David, not all of them, but the, the, all the Psalms were quoted by Jesus more than any other Old Testament book. Jesus went around quoting the Old Testament all the time, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, all the time. And the one book in the Hebrew Scriptures that he quoted more than any other book is the Psalms. You can tell that Jesus just was steeped in the Psalms. He was, you could tell, meditating on it, praying it, reading it, so that he always had verses ready to go in his memory when he was responding to somebody about a certain situation. So I want to have the same view of the Psalms that Jesus does. Especially if Jesus rose from the dead, it kind of proves that that is the correct view. That's God's view of the Psalms. And it means that God is speaking to me in my situation in the Psalms. So the occasion of Psalm 139 is David is experiencing anxiety. Says the word toward the end. We're not going to look at the verse because I can't look at everything. But he's experiencing an anxiety uh, that's intense because he's experiencing very, he's surrounded by real threats. And those real threats are causing anxiety. But what's really interesting is that when we read Psalm 139, we're going back in time 3,000 years to see the inner process, how David dealt with his anxiety. 3,000 years ago, here's what's so, at least to me, I mean, everybody's different. To me, this is one of the reasons why the Bible's so amazing is that although we're gonna read a passage that's 3,000 years old, it's so far ahead of its time it's going to be as if it was written by a modern Christian psychologist today that's discovered something new to tell us how to deal with stress and anxiety in our lives. And, and, and the first thing we have to notice is that what David is doing in dealing with his anxiety is there's this, you have horizontal realities. Those are your circumstances. And rather than primarily seeing his life in the context of his circumstances, what you see David doing immediately is instead is he's seeing his life and he's seeing his circumstances vertically. He's seeing his life and he's seeing his circumstances in the context of who God is. So rather than seeing his life in the context of his circumstances, he right away is putting it vertically. He's seeing his life and he's seeing his circumstances, his all his horizontal circumstances in the context of who God is. And I want you to see this. Let's, take, let's just read the first six verses. And I want you to see this here. He says in verse one, O Lord. Now, I, just, I have to do it here because it matters for the rest of what we're going to read. That, and I do this a lot, and I know it gets old for some of you, but I think we don't teach this enough. We don't get this enough, and I think it's so important because when the Hebrews read this in the Hebrew language, when they read the Hebrew scriptures, right away they saw God's name here. It's not really the Hebrew word for Lord. But what your translator is doing is put it in all capital L-O-R-D. Sometimes it's not in all capital, and that is the Hebrew word for Lord. But here it's not. Most of the time it's not. What it's referring to is the most referred to uh, term for God, and that's his name, Yahweh, which was the ancient Hebrew verb for he is. Going back to that time when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and he said, go tell them that he is has sent you. I am that I am. Tell them he has sent you. He is. I mean, the I am the, is such a cryptic name for God that God names himself he is. That God names himself this cryptic term that means that he is the source of all that exists. 
He's the giver of all life. He's the one who inhabits eternity. He always is in the present tense. He inhabits eternity, it says in Isaiah. And he is always 100% present without being any less present anywhere else because he's infinite. He is always 100% present. So when we understand God's name, now it puts the, we have to kind of bring all of that into the rest of this psalm and bring all of that into these six verses, especially, O Lord, he is Yahweh, the I am. You have searched me. Now notice the you, me, my, I. David is having a conversation with the I am. David is having a conversation with the one who calls himself he is. And he's using poetry, he's giving us imaginary language to understand something that is really getting into the almost not understandable. He's saying, you, me, my, you have searched me. That's, a, that's an active verb that means God has been very active and intense about David's life. You have searched me and known me. That word really means you really know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. This is poetry. This is giving us an imagery. You know, you understand my thought from afar. He goes on, he says, you scrutinize my path. That's a Hebrew word that meant sorting through and separating this from that. God is so involved, he searches me, he knows me, he has known me, he knows everywhere I am, he perceives every single thought that I have, and he scrutinizes everywhere I'm going, even my lying down. And you are intimately acquainted, intimately acquainted with all my ways, everything intimately acquainted with everything. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, Yahweh, the I am, he is. Behold, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You surround me. There's nowhere I can go where you're not there. You lay your hand upon me. You're always with me. You're always putting your hand on me, touching me, embracing me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. See, I think what David is saying there in verse six, that last one, that when we really get what David is saying in this psalm, we're going to understand that we're not going to understand it. We're not going to understand the infinite nature of who God is. But we don't have to understand something. It's amazing how we have this thought that we have to understand something before we believe it. Most things we believe, we don't understand, but we don't think of it that way. But for some reason, when it comes to God, we have this arms folded and I'm going to stand here as sort of a gatekeeper of my beliefs and I have to understand it before I believe it. But David is saying that good luck with that. You're not going to understand the infinite. You have a finite, you have a finite mind. But here's what's amazing. Here's what's so life-changing. Here's how David dealt with his anxiety. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, that the God who created the entire universe. Now, David had an amazing view of what that means. So much more we have now, the God that created the hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe that are billions of light years away if you travel the speed of light, the God who created all the galaxies that have billions of stars, that have billions of planets, the God that created 
everything in the entire universe is 100% present at this piece of dust on a moon orbiting a planet, orbiting a star in a galaxy 13 billion light years away. If you travel the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 13 billion years to get there. God is there 100% looking at that piece of dust just as he's here right now 100% search, I mean, all the language of searching you and and knowing you and holding you and hemming you in and intimately acquainted with all your ways, you're not going to understand how any being can be that way. But David is saying, and Jesus believed the words of David, so God is saying to us, and this is what's so life-changing, and this is the first thing we have to believe to deal with anxiety, that you have this vertical perspective that the one who is present everywhere in the entire universe is one. 100% right now focused on you. And that will change how you see the context of every moment in your life. Now, some people think, no, wait a minute, stop, time out. That's not logical. The God that created this universe with hundreds of billions of galaxies, stars, all that, not gonna go into it all over again, but the God that created the hundreds of everything is so big and I'm so small, and I'm so kind of just, I'm going to have a short life compared to the, this long billions of years of the universe. But what, how could God be really all that concerned about the details of my life? That doesn't make logical sense. Richard Dawkins, years ago, trying to troll Christians, had a tweet here where he said, the designer of the expanding universe, divisor of quantum theory and relativity, He's really interested in who you sleep with, sinner. Now, what his logic there is, and I think this resonates with a lot of people because I hear something like this repeated a lot. The logic is this. The God that's powerful enough and intelligent enough to create this, to be the designer of the expanding universe and to be the divisor of quantum physics and all the other physics we don't understand Well, he's got more important things to do that he cares about than the details of your life, the details of your morals or the details of just, you know, whatever it is, he's kind of occupied. That's the logic. You ever feel that way? I mean, maybe you wouldn't put it quite that trolling of language, but do you ever feel like God's far away, he's distant, he's, this is a big universe and there's so many other things he's got to pay attention to. I'm not, and I'm going to pray to God. I mean, think of all the people that are praying at the same time. And we just sort of have this sense that isn't he kind of too removed, too distant to care about this detail in my life? Now, Jesus had the exact opposite logic. Jesus said, no, wait a minute, stop. You're not thinking right. Jesus says, no, 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 no. The infinite God that created this universe is so big that he's big enough to actually care about everything. He doesn't have to pick and choose as if he's limited. I gotta pay attention to this because I can't pay attention to everything. Jesus says, no, the God, you don't get it. The God that's infinite can be infinitely involved in everything. And so he says that, kinda, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, it's just the smallest piece of money can buy two sparrows. How insignificant is that? Yet not one, not one of them will fall to the ground. Now, every sparrow falls to the ground, right? Every sparrow dies. But none of them die apart from outside of your father's 
care. They're going to fall, but not one sparrow. The least thing you can think of, Jesus saying a penny's worth of animal, so to speak, will not fall to the ground outside the God that created this entire universe's care. He cares even about that. And then he goes on and he says, and even the very hair, much less of a miracle for me, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So here's what he's saying. God is so big that he cares about every single sparrow and no sparrow falls to the ground. They all will one time, but they don't outside their father's care. They won't one minute sooner than the father cares for them. And even the very, it's not even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So he, he makes the conclusion. He, he ties this with that. So don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be stressed. Don't, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, Jesus is saying that the, 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 he's echoing what he's saying, because God is so infinite, because God is so huge, he cares about every single detail of his entire universe, especially you especially you. You're worth more than most everything else, at least on this planet. And God is infinite, and he is everywhere, equally, without being any less anywhere else. Jesus is just echoing what David is saying in Psalm 139. But here's what Jesus is saying, is that you are infinitely important to God. I know some of you right now are going, okay, time out, Mr. Modern American Therapist. It sounds very much like a modern American therapy Christian session. You're important to God. You're a special little snowflake. Okay, here's the thing. I'm reading something 3,000 years old. This is what David says. God, Yahweh, the I am, where can I, where can I go where you're not there? You surround me. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. All my ways, I can't even think a thought that you don't know beforehand. I'm gonna say, I can't even say a word that you don't know hand. You search me. You scrutinize everything about me. You're always with me. And then he says this in verse 17. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts. Now, I put that in yellow because that's a tricky Hebrew phrase to translate into English. And so your, your Bible, like if you have an NIV, you'll notice they have a little margin that says, you know, this is hard. It might mean, it could mean that how amazing are your thoughts concerning me. That might be the better way to translate it, but they had to make a choice. They have to make a Bible. But here's the thing. It essentially means the same thing no matter which way you go. He says, God, how precious to me or how precious are your thoughts concerning to me? Uh, how vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, here's what I want you to get. The language of how vast are God's thoughts concerning me or to me, but here's God's thoughts because see, God is always intimately acquainted with all my ways. He's always searching and knowing me. God is always infinitely present with me. And he says, even when I awake, you're right there. I can't go anywhere where you're not watching me. You're not intimately watching me like a parent watches their sleeping child. God is always with me and his thoughts about me, of me, knowing me, are infinite. They outnumber. He has to use an imaginary thing. Think of every grain of sand on the entire planet, and God's thoughts concerning you are beyond that. They're so vast, you couldn't even begin to count them. 
See, here's the thing. God is infinitely, intimately, intensely thinking about you. God is always thinking about you. That's what Psalm 139 says. Here's the thing. When the God that created this universe and is infinitely aware of and involved and present with everything in this universe and is infinitely thinking about everything in this universe, when the God, the mind, the intelligence, the power that created this universe is intently, intensely, and infinitely and intimately thinking about you in every present moment, what good is your worry and anxiety going to do? your finite plans for your life. The God that is always with you, the I am, always thinking and focused, and he has this plan for you. And he's always present in every single moment. And if you miss that view of God, you miss the context of every moment in your life. So again, rather than seeing your life in the context of your horizontal circumstances, David said, no, 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 see your horizontal circumstances in the context of who God is. And if you miss that, that's when you're going to be like the dog with all kinds of layers of growing stress and anxiety and attacking eventually and only biting your own foot. See, Jesus is saying this. He's saying that in these moments when you're not sure what God is doing, that's when you can remind yourself you're in a Psalm 139 context. Years ago when I was in high school, I went to a conference. And I was a high school kid. This is the first time I it was at the University of Colorado in Boulder, Christian conference. I had a, whole, you know, I had a, a dorm room in one of the dorms there. And I, you know, it's the first time I'm in a dorm. I'm a high school kid walking back to my dorm. I get into the, I walk into the dorm, get in the elevator, go up to my floor, get off, walk down the hall. It's a long hall, come to the end of the hall. And I see my door opened and there's sort of sun coming through the window. And I, I was rooming by myself. And so I go up to the door and I see this guy and he's putting my stuff in a duffel bag. And I said, what are you doing? And in my mind, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm finally catching a person stealing something from me. All these times somebody stole something, now I'm seeing the person in the act, and this is a moment. And my heart's racing, my defenses are going, my anxiety's racing, but this is a guy stealing my stuff. And he looks up and he says, I'm unpacking my stuff. And I said, no, that's my stuff that you're putting in your bag. Why don't you start taking it back out? And he goes, this is my room. And I saw his eyes kind of look past me to the door. And so I sort of raised, I raised my arms so that he couldn't get out of the door. And I just started walking toward him. I said, this is my room. And I, to prove my point, looked back at my door and it said 238. And my room's 338. <laughs> I'd gotten off one floor sooner. It was my first time in a dorm. I was completely in the wrong room. I had everything right. In a sense, I went to the right room in the hall. It was the wrong floor. But having that one little detail wrong made me misinterpret the entire, entire context of everything and made me misread a threat that wasn't a threat at all. And my anxiety's going and I'm getting my defenses going. I'm ready to attack somebody. 
And, you know, I see that guy on the rest of the two, two weeks and he kind of go to the other side of the street and avoid me. <laughs> what? Come on, I was, just, I, was, I was making a mistake. And I think that you, we go through life, you're going you're to have moments where you're going to get anxious and you're going to feel threatened and it's, your heart rate's going to race and you're going to have this sense of defenses and you're going to start going into attack mode and it's going to start building and you're going to ruminate on what's going on and you're going to get more anxious and you're going to get more upset and you're going to get more stress and eventually you're going to want to go into attack mode. The problem is there's one big thing missing from the context. God. What if you put God, remember to put God back in the context? Like David's doing with Psalm 139. What if these moments when they're happening, these anxiety moments, you stop and you said, you just said to yourself, take a deep breath. God is present. He is in this with me. And I can trust him. God is present. He is in this with me. And I can trust him. And here's why you can trust him. Let me just read these verses too real quick. 13 and 14, David says, For you created my inmost being. You, this is poetry, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, here's the thing. This is what mind, this is mind-blowing if you stop and really think about it. The God that created every star, every galaxy in this universe specifically created you. Specifically created your body. He uses the language, knit you together. That you are a fearfully and wonderfully made body, person. Now see, when the God who is inhabiting eternity when God knits you together, he takes thousands of years. He's outside eternity. So the whole thing, this whole genetic code thing and your DNA taking thousands of years, this is how God knits you together that when you think about it, each sperm that won the race and each egg in that moment, in that month, at that time, in every reproductive event, over thousands of years of reproductive events of your ancestors all to get a specific you, to get a specific you that God carefully knit together as a wonderful work that took thousands of years to get exactly you, exactly you. If you think of it that way, I mean, if you believe what it says, that's a, God wants you to exist in his universe. The God that created this universe created you. And he created your body. And, and, and even though we have flaws now, we live in a Genesis 3 world, this is why you're going to have a resurrection of your body and your salvation. You're going to have a resurrected body of glory and beauty and power, ability, capability, righteousness. This is the purpose of Jesus' miracles was to show what restoration of our body is going to be in the kingdom of God when heaven comes back to earth in a resurrection. This is God's eternal plan. The God that created this universe wanted you to exist forever in his universe. He created a body specifically knit together as a wonderful work that took knitting together over thousands of years because he wanted a specific you because he has an eternal plan for you, which is why you're going to have a resurrection when Christ returns. Now, I think Psalm 139 
challenges us. In those moments of anxiety, it challenges us to think through this. We're going to get threatened by circumstances. We're going to have horizontal situations that are going to threaten something, and some of them are going to be serious, just like David's were serious in this psalm, very serious. And we can let anxiety build, and we can let tension build, and we can get our defenses up, and we can start going into ruminating about this and going into attack mode, and we might go into attack mode, and we might end up biting our own foot if we're not careful. Or, or we can remember that we live in a Psalm 139 reality. And that even in those threats, some of them very serious, some of them less so, we just are not aware enough to see that they're not as serious as we think. But in every threat, in every situation, we can remember that this, this is what Psalm 39 says. This is what Jesus said. God is present. He is in this with me, 100%. And I can trust him. Amen.